Welcome to Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel. Do you sometimes feel alone in life with personal and interpersonal struggles and challenges? We'll show you that you are not alone and that you can learn and thrive from your challenges and thereby live a healthy life. Now, here is your host, Dr. Vadisha Patel. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Vidisha Patel. As many of you know, I'm a licensed mental health therapist working here in Florida in the United States. And in my practice, I see lots of children, young adults, and women with an array of challenges. While I work every day with behavioral concerns for the most part and stress and anxiety, I've also counseled and continue to counsel people with trauma and grief. These could be situations that people have experienced recently or from many years ago. And often I find I do that work around working with teen parents. We have a wonderful teen parent program here where I live. So trauma and the grief around it manifest in a multitude of ways. And when the grief is held deep inside, the implications for social and emotional health are frequently challenged. So we've talked on this show about mother loss and the grief associated with that loss. So today, I want to extend that conversation to many other forms of grief. Grief needn't be a negative word or something to be ashamed of. There's so much to be learned from the grieving process. And to help us uncover ways that we can transform our grief is my very special guest, Lisa Frechette. Lisa is an arts facilitator, she's an artist, she's a new author and a mother. She's written a book that was recently published called Transforming to Joy, where she talks about responding to her son's struggle with addiction. So welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much, Patricia. I'm so happy to be speaking with you today. I am very excited to have you here. And I wanted to start by um, having you tell our listeners a little bit about why you decided to write this book about your son? Well, it's interesting because I didn't sit down and say, I'm going to write about my son and our relationship. I did hear a little voice that said, start writing, start writing. And so I just started to write every day. So I set myself to write a little bit each day. And after a couple of months, I looked at it and I could see that really the content of this book was about our mother-son relationship and how it had shifted um, over a period of years. Um, And and, and so that's, I did, so again, I didn't start out saying I'm going to write a book called Transforming to Joy about my relationship with my son. It, it kind of evolved really naturally and organically um, um, in, a, in a really beautiful and um, I'll just say the word organic again. It really flowed organically through me. That's wonderful. It's it's sort of like the journey of life, I guess, that it, it unfolds instead. You can have yes. a plan, but it's doesn't necessarily happen that way. Um, So as this book was unfolding, did you find that you had an intent for what you wanted the book to be? Or do you have a specific intent of what you want the book to be now? Well, as as it was evolving, um, and I could see, especially towards the end of the writing and, and, and organizing it into the sections of the book and how it would unfold, I could see the different the different parts to it, you know, about the real struggle and and the shifts, as well as the um, the changes, even incredible with incredibly difficult challenges. That there could be uh, different ways for me to respond to him and his addiction, rather than in my old ways. 
And, and so as I was writing and seeing it unfold, and especially towards the end, it became clearer that it was really a book about hope and healing as well as strategies to, to help heal. What are the things that worked for me and, and, and our relationship? Um, so that, so that part is still, that is still evolving. And as an artist, I also have training in counseling and education. So it's like my skill set allows me to, um, kind of bring together the message of transforming to joy and responding versus reacting to any, any loved one, you know, witnessing the immense challenges that a loved one may be facing and how we can respond in a way with love rather than, for me, it was a journey from reacting with fear to responding with love. So that's really the foundation of our story. I think that's beautiful. And that's what I really love about the book and about your story is how these are not reactions, but these are really actions, things you can do and, and looking at the beauty of it as opposed to just the sadness of it, because I'm sure it was a very challenging uh, time for you. Um, and, you know, we all have a journey in life. We've all, our, most of us, our lives have taken twists and turns that we may not have anticipated. And I know your journey has also been um, interesting and different. Um, and I thought this might be a good time, actually, if you could talk a little bit about how you've come to where you are today, you know, um, the artist role, the educator role, um, you haven't always lived in Florida, so how did you, you know, how, how did your life progress to this point? Well, I'm from New England, and I had a daughter, and two years later, a son, Adam, and he is the one the book, is, it's about our relationship. Um, and then six years later, we had um, a baby who was born with an extremely rare uh, breathing problem, respiratory problem, and he, he lived for three months. And that was in 1996 before cell phones and so on. And I actually lived with him in the neonatal ICU and I didn't leave. I stayed there for at least half of his life. And, and then we were home a bit and then back in a pediatric ICU. So there was something about that solitariness of actually living in a NICU, you know, really without phones or connection that it was kind of like a, a retreat from life in a way. My total focus was this infant. And mm-hmm. during that time, it, 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 something changed in me. Something, uh, there was something, something opened in my heart. A love opened in my heart that I hadn't experienced before. And it's, what, what was, I can only say this in retrospect, it was incredibly painful. But I could see that in retrospect that the pain of that, something about that intense pain opened something in my heart. And, um, so he passed after three months and, um, and, and not so long after, several years later, um, my husband and I were divorced. So that was another huge grief. And, wow. and right after that, my son, Adam started using drugs and, and alcohol. And so it was really three different kinds of grief that, um, that, that opened me. But so right. after, after the infant, after my infant passed, I was introduced to this painting technique and it's kind of a ritual preparing it. I have to cook something on the stove and add paint in and wet paper. And this process became really a healing 
practice for me. And I started to share it with other people. And, um, and it just, again, I didn't know at the time, I, I wasn't thinking, oh, I'm doing this because it's helping me to heal and feel better. It, just, it was just, it was a way for me to, it's like I lost myself in the painting process in a, in a positive right. way. And, it, and, and also sharing that process with other people. And, and so when my children were old enough, I moved to Florida and um, I, I already had had my, I already had attained my degrees in counseling and education in New England. And um, I started my own tutoring business and also an art gallery uh, doing both. And for me, working with my academic students is very similar to the creative process because each student is, each individual in front of me, it's it's almost, you know, I I work with somewhat intuitively as well as my training and and in their learning sites, helping them to learn how they learn. So that those same strategies I also can apply to my own life as well as helping other people um, ease into the grief that they're feeling and experience it and work with it to come through something, some healing. And part of it is healing and part of, part of it's being with the pain and, and not running from it. And part of it is letting it go and finding right. moments of, of greater freedom. So for me, the art, the counseling, the education, it's all really woven together. Um, as like creative ways to heal and to respond to life. That's quite amazing because those three traumas, I would call them basically back to back within a relatively short period of time. That's a lot for anyone to handle. Did you even understand that um, you were going through that much at the time or were you just focused on trying to raise your children? (laughs) I was just focused on trauma. <laughs> it wasn't until someone said to me, you're having a trauma response, that I realized, oh my goodness, I've been living like this for years. It was one trauma after another. So there was something so huge, and I think that's a big part of the book and my work that I'm doing currently, is naming, naming what that feeling is, what that situation is, naming it, and just the naming of it is it's a huge relief and release from just our psyches and our emotions, just saying what it is. Um, so it was definitely like, I, I didn't like while I was painting when my children, you know, through those years, like I, I didn't, I wasn't thinking that it was therapeutic. It was only in retrospect that I could say it was a therapeutic process for me. Um, right. and, uh, um, well, so it, naming, it, naming those emotions is so important. I find that when I work with clients in my office and in my work, um, just helping people finding the names. It's often you don't, you people don't know how to label their emotions because it's not something that we, we frequently do or that we're taught. And so that whole process, I would agree with you that there is a great sense of relief when you can finally put a name to it, whatever it is, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, there, there is something freeing about it. And also, I had a good therapist. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, you know, that, that was really helpful, you know, and, and helping me to manage the situations. Because during those, those years with the passing of the infant and the divorce and my son beginning to use alcohol and drugs, um, you know, I was, I was managing. You know, I was kind of in survival mode for all those years. And um, it, it, it was, that, that being said, there were a few things that I was doing well. 
which is uh-huh. the painting, which, um, and always every day making sure that I was outside moving my body. Um, and, and again, having a good therapist and also trusted friends, like just a few people that, that I could talk to openly. So even though I wasn't naming it and I wasn't looking at it the way I'm, I can look at it today, there were some things that I was doing that I can see were really uh, helpful right. in helping me to just manage, just to manage life during those years. Well, you actually half answered my next question for you was, did you have advisors or mentors that helped you along the way? I, I love the way you, um, you had told me before about how you came to learn this method of um, painting that you do now. Um, how how did you how did you meet that person and and how did they come to influence you? So 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 the painting. So my infant, whose name is Thomas, he he had passed in um, in August, and the holiday season was approaching, and um, my children were just turning six and eight, and I always have loved to write, and and I was paint, I was making collages at the time, and. I was introduced to, I had a new neighbor who introduced me to someone who taught me this painting technique. And and it became, you know, it just became, I had no idea that this would become such a pivotal point in my life, you know, such a pivotal opening for um, healing and change and bringing beauty into the world. Um, so it was really a serendipitous journey. And the reason I started she introduced me to this. It was a, a, a new walking friend that I had, and I was writing a book for my children about St. Nicholas, and as kind of like as an antidote to uh, the materialism of Christmas and stuff, and, you know, just, I wanted an antidote to that, like what's, what's really behind the meaning of, of this holiday. And so I researched St. Nicholas, and I had written, um, taken one of his acts of generosity, his first acts of generosity, one of his many legends around him. And I wrote the story for my children, and I began to illustrate it with my paintings. Uh-huh. And so it was just nothing that I published, but something that I that I would read and share with, with my children and neighborhood children and and so on. That's wonderful. So did, at that point in time, where you, you were just doing the painting for yourself, you weren't Teaching it to the technique to I did. I anybody started, else. Well, well, now it was always well. Now it was always on my kitchen table. So <laughs> okay. So um, and so I was painting a lot. My and my children did, and I taught it to other children and Girl Scout troops and Boy Scout troops, and I, I trained some teachers in how to how to um, facilitate this process. And as well as after the painting is complete. You can also do so many things with the papers. The papers are beautiful. So you can make collages with them, which is what I did with the St. Nicholas book, as well as you can make cards or origami or so nothing in the... I think that that's... And I think that that kind of parallels something in the healing process, that nothing is wasted. So wow. even though I might look at a painting and say, ooh, that's not very pretty, or that's not very nice, or I don't <laughs> like that, instead of ripping it up and throwing it away, it can be transformed into something a piece of beauty and through a card or origami or, or something like that. So that's, for me, that whole process, the painting and then what to do with it when you're finished with it, which is what a lot of artists will say, you know, I have all these paintings, what do you do with them? And that's right. one of the things I love about this process is that 
nothing is wasted. It can become my grocery list. It can become a bookmarker. It can become a note to someone. So it's, again, it's that I love that it's everything is being used. And again, like almost like the ugliness of a painting can be transformed into something that's useful and attractive. And, uh, Many people over the years, I've been doing it for over 20 years, many people over the years have kept my cards and have a whole collection from the beginning. <laughs> Someday I like to look at some of those and see, see, how, what the, see how that looks over well, time. Well, progr- the progression, the transformation of where yeah. you were all those years ago to where you are now. Um, and you also turn them into clothing items now, correct? Yes. So a little gallery fell into my lap about five years ago. And I put my paintings on the wall and I was also continuing with my working with, um, young people and, uh, um, individually and had the gallery as well. And, and, um, I had this one painting in particular that I I also, my paintings have a title and they have a Uh story. And so I paint intuitively in the stories. I look at it and the story also speaks itself through me. Um, so I had this one painting that everyone loved this painting. It was called Empower. And it didn't uh-huh. matter which wall I put it on, people were riveted to it. And, you know, just looking, just watching people go to that painting, it was just kind of amazing. And what was, then what was really flabbergasting was that no one purchased it. So I, you know, I thought, well, I'll change the price. I'll make it lower. I'll make it higher. Still no one bought it. And then I happened to be away on the west coast of the country visiting a friend and we were, um, in a little shop and she was picking up something from a print shop and I put that empower image on a mug and a t-shirt and I brought it back and people bought it right away. Wow. And so Lisa, I like, I, well, that, this, that was, story, that was, this story is really important and I wonder, we're going to go to a commercial break and I want you to finish it because it's such a great story of how you've okay. come to where great. you are today. But please stay tuned. Okay. We're talking about grief and transforming our grief to joy. And if you have any questions, you can email me, Dr. Vidisha Patel at drv4kids at yahoo.com and we'll be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Dr. Vadisha Patel is a licensed mental health counselor working at Peace of Heart LLC in Sarasota, Florida. Peace of Heart offers individual counseling with children and adults, as well as programs in stress reduction. Dr. Patel utilizes a relationship-based approach to treatment. She is currently accepting new patients. To find out more, visit peaceofheartllc.com or in Florida, call 941-539-1727. Again, that's peaceofheartllc.com or call 941-539-1727. Peace of Heart LLC, managing emotions for a healthier lifestyle. Do you feel that you aren't at your best when it comes to your personal health? Even if your doctor gives you a clean bill of health and says everything is in working order, perhaps you aren't feeling at the top of your game. Dr. Rebecca Risk overcame pain and fatigue despite all tests to the contrary. Learn how she put her health back on track and how you can too on Falling Through the Cracks. Live every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? 
If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. You are tuned into Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel. If you would like to reach the show today, please call into 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Patel at drv4kids at yahoo.com. That's Dr. V, the number four, kids at yahoo.com. Now, back to Perspectives. Welcome back to Perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Vidisha Patel, and I'm here in conversation with Lisa Frechette, author, educator, and artist. So, Lisa, I had to interrupt you uh, abruptly because of our commercial break, but um, we're back now. So, can you pick up your story from uh, where you were and how you've transformed your art into an, into another format? Sure. Um so my painting in power, that, which is the title of the painting, um, um, I knew that there was something in this because of the interest that people expressed. And so back in my gallery, it, it was like, it was, it's really been serendipitous. You know, it just kind of popped in. I love scarves. I wonder if I can put in power on a scarf. And so that became um, the, I started with that empower scarf and, and it, I could feel the I could feel the energy from the painting in the scarf when I wrapped it around my body, and and it, it it was empowering. It felt you know it felt really good. And so I started to do this with some of my other paintings, um, helping to create um, you know just a um, po- more positive and higher feelings within like wrapping. You know what do I put in my mouth to eat? What do I look at? And what do I want to? What kind of energy do I want to wrap my body in? And right. so the the paintings and their titles all have something that's uplifting in them. Even even one of my paintings is called Mayhem, which is a lot about transforming and shifting, taking something that's really painful and difficult and shifting it into something that that can be useful. That's beautiful. So now you have you actually have scarves, you have um, exercise clothes, you have dresses, you have little pouches you have all sorts of wonderful things with your paintings on them and it they really do have a beautiful feel to them um thank you you're welcome so let's now sort of get into the the real talk about grief um it comes in many different forms as you've already started to indicate uh we typically think of it as loss from death as part of it was with your son Adam but I think it's so much more than that and do you have thoughts about how you would define grief? Well grief is slippery Um, for me like it's such a physical and heart experience Um, you know for me with the passing 
of my sons, you know, and I, I don't think we mentioned that earlier that Adam did pass, um, my son, and, right. and, um, as well as my son, Thomas. And, um, and there, the physical death is just really that numbing feeling when you hear that news and have that experience. And it's, you know, the shock of it is, is, um, you know, it, it can it just, for me, it left me numb for a period of time. So it was really, you know, my eating was, you know, I couldn't really eat much. Um, uh-huh. it, it was really a physical, I couldn't move much. I just kind of felt um, frozen in a certain way. Okay. And it's, um, can you talk, so is that how you responded when Adam passed away as well as when Thomas passed away? Or was it different? With each of them, when Thomas passed, we were holding him, and we knew he was going to pass. Um, and it was, and he, we were watching this little baby suffering, and so it was, it was incredibly poignant and beautiful and sad, and but also like it was very clear that it was his time to go, um, yeah. and so it was incredibly sad when when Adam passed. Um, you know, it was a knock on the door. Um, and being told that he had died. And, and so it was a different, uh, the shock was a little bit different in, in that sense. And because uh-huh. he was older, he was 22 when he passed. So it was having that time with him also, I think, had an effect on it. Um, I just remember like literally like crumbling to the floor and my body just shaking, which was interesting because after giving birth, my body did that same kind of shaking, like involuntary shaking. <laughs> So it was wow. interesting, in retrospect, to see that to have that same experience when Adam passed. That you know, my whole body was just trembling and shaking uncontrollably. And um, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question. <laughs> well, no, you are, and and I know this is a difficult conversation. So I really appreciate your having it. I was also thinking that um, we've talked about this kind of grief, this physical death, and um, so separation from a loved one through death. But then there's other grief as well when there's separation through divorce or if people relocate, um, when there's a break in in some sort of life, in life's patterns that have been pretty steady. Um, and there there can be grief associated with that as well. Do you think the responses are vastly different? I mean, maybe the physical responses are, but internally, do you think the responses are vastly different? Or do you think that... No, I think that there's a thread that connects. For me, there's been a thread that connects all of the grief. It's it's And it comes back to that, like, it's such a solitary experience. You feel so alone when that person is gone, whether it's physical death or divorce or relocating or illness when, when there's a shift in the kind of relationship that you had, a significant shift like that, even like watching Adam spiral down with, you know, when he was using drugs and alcohol, like just seeing that even though his body was alive, it was like his spirit was going down and it was like, he wasn't really that person. Um, so there was a, and I was, you know, really aware of that, like the grief watching someone suffer is, really extraordinarily painful. Um, but there's something, again, it's like physical, it's solitary, but you can, we can also receive support. But for mm-hmm. me, it really comes down to, 
it's like really such a heart experience. It's a, you care so much about this person and you have such love and you want it to be something that it, it's not. And, and so you're grieving and, and so it opens my heart to love and over time that, that openness of the heart also it, it grew my compassion over time for others suffering or witnessing any kind of suffering that, that um, there's, a, there's a connectedness that we all have as human beings um, right. and wa- wanting to be connected and wanting to be loved and wanting to love. Um, so, so the grief part, like, it was like we can't help not feeling grief if we're human. It's like it's inevitable. And so if it's right. inevitable, how can we how can we be with it in a real way? How can right. we be with it in a real way that that can open us to even more? And it hurts. It doesn't. It doesn't feel good. <laughs> you know. It, right. it, you know. Well, I, and I've often said, like, someone may ask me, "It's like, how are you feeling?" I'd be like, "My heart. It physically hurts. Like, my heart hurts." Um, and and but I but it's like, how do you take care of that? You know, it's like it's it's. We can't, like, again, we can't avoid it. So what, what, how can we be with it? And so right. my situations have helped me to accept it. And I, w- I will interject one thing. When, when Adam passed and my daughter flew in for the funeral that same day, she, you know, she flew in to be here, and, and she said something that was really profound. She said, I feel like we've done this before. Uh, and she was referencing when her baby brother had passed. And at that time, she was just turning eight. Um, and so, and there is, there was something that is really similar, although they were also different. Um, right. Well, you're saying there, goodbye. So is that the, yes. Yes. And, and you also said something a little bit earlier about expectation. So um, I wanted to follow up on that or, or comment on it that, um, Sometimes the grief comes because we have an expectation. We, as parents, we expect that right. our children will outlive us. Um, we expect that we will, in a relationship, when we are, when we are starting a relationship, we expect or anticipate that it will continue forever. Um, and so the grief almost comes as a reaction then to the expectation. Does that? resonate with you? Or? Yes, it's like, it's, like, it's like we have this dream. You know, I had this dream that I would have this family, and it would look this certain way, and, and boy, did all that get dashed. You know, nothing <laughs> turned out the way. <laughs> I was looking, so it's kind of like you have this dream, you could call it an expectation, but it's also, you know, this, this is how I, I see my life unfolding, and when it doesn't happen that way, it's you're mad, you know, you're angry too. So the anger comes into that as well, as well as, you know, so, so many other feelings come along with the grief. The other thing that's interesting about the grief is that when we've had one loss, um, I'll just use my example. It's like when Thomas passed, you know, there was grief. So when his birthdays and death anniversaries come up, I'm also reminded of Adam. So it's like they're not and my parents who have passed. So it's, it's, it's like when, when, when we experience one grief, it kind of reminds us of the other griefs that we've had. Right. Um, and so it's almost, sometimes th- those emotions, when those dates or when those grief moments, like just really just kind of, kind of smack you, like just come out on so suddenly. Um, it, it, can well, be, it can be startling and it, it brings up 
the other losses. So it's like, I know for me, sometimes I've just, it's felt muddled. It's like, I didn't know who I was grieving. But it was like, it was all together, like almost like in a soup or a stew right. of, of people and emotions. And, and it, it, you know, it's kind of, it, it's really an overwhelming feeling. Well, let's actually talk about that for a minute, because I know exactly what you mean. And it's, um, it, in a way, it's fascinating how it happens, because um, I lost my mother at a young age, I lost my brother um, a little bit later in life, I've, and I've lost several other people that were um, very important role models and and loved ones in my life and and those dates those anniversaries come back and it's interesting because the death anniversaries come but the birthdays come and typically birthdays are happy events when the person is alive but somehow when they're not here anymore those birthdays also turn into sad events and then you mix them all together and you're right you you don't know who you're grieving for um so have you found a way to get through those anniversaries in a productive way for you? Um, y- yes, mo- mo- sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I think that for me, rituals are really important. And so I try, I, I don't schedule anything on any of those dates. I don't schedule anything extra. Like, you know, I have things to do. I, you know, I adhere to that. Um, so, and I, I try to honor them in certain ways. Like, and each year, sometimes some years it's been when Thomas passed, we used to go to the cemetery and have, as a family, and we would have pizza there every year on his birthday. And it, and it was a cemetery that wasn't filled up, so it was a lot of playing space. And so it became time to, like, throw up after the pizza to throw around the ball. And okay. and so it was it was it was it was bittersweet. Bittersweet's probably the best word. So that was a ritual for many years when um, the older children, you know, when they were, when the older children were younger, so when they were, you know, in the elementary years. Right. So that was a really beautiful ritual. And every night before dinner, we would also acknowledge Thomas's passing and, and, and ask him to watch over us. So we thought of him as like our special angel. And, and I think that not running, not, uh, um, we, there was no shroud in the house or we didn't have his room set up or we didn't do that kind of thing. But just like that acknowledging of his life and the way that he touched our lives was really um, significant. And so to, to honor that on a daily basis as well as, and not in, not in a morbid way and not in a, right. to acknowledge it, you know, we would acknowledge it before we ate our meal in the evening as a family. Um, and then as the years went by, it's, you know, it's different when, your children aren't elementary age anymore um, or high school. And so, you know, we'll either talk on the phone or like I do, I, for me, walking on the beach is important or um, sometimes, you know, Adam loved baseball. So a couple of times I've had the opportunity to go to a baseball game on his anniversaries. And and Uh that sometimes, sometimes when I think that that could be a really good idea, and sometimes it's really not a good idea. It's it's not a pleasant experience for me. It's like it's heartbreaking. So right. and sometimes it's, it's the reverse. Sometimes I've done that same thing. And it's been a joyful experience. So I I don't think that there aren't any. And I think that's very true about grief. There aren't any rules. It's very gray, and and that we each we have to as individuals and as families and friends develop what's going to work for us at a given time. And what may work one year may not be be working for you the next year. 
Right. Um, well, that's so it's, a, that's... It's, and, there, and, that's, and that's where it's important to become creative. That's where creativity comes in. Like what, and asking yourself, I ask myself, what will make me feel, what, how do I want to market this year? How do I, what, what feels best for me? And oftentimes the anticipation of the dates is harder than the date itself. So, I would agree. Uh, I would agree with that. Um, uh, I think that one of the things that you highlighted that I would like to sort of underscore is this um, bringing that person um, into your daily life. I think uh, culturally growing up, uh, when my mother passed on, we didn't talk about her as much because it was too upsetting, supposedly to relatives, um, to the whole family. And I found that as time went on, it it was actually beneficial to talk about her because there were lots of happy times and um, that actually made it a little bit easier to bear the loss. Yes, it's hard, but thinking of her and bringing her, talking about her in a sort of normal way instead of making it this very sort of morbid and just this event that was so traumatic, but just making normalizing it in a sense, um, I found was actually much more helpful. And, um, you know, we learn, I think we learn over time. So we have to go to another short commercial break. So don't go away. We will be right back to talk some more. And we are going to look at how we can transform this grief into something a little bit more beautiful. We'll be right back. This is Perspectives. I'm Dr. Vidisha Patel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Dr. Vidisha Patel is a licensed mental health counselor working at Peace of Heart LLC in Sarasota, Florida. Peace of Heart offers individual counseling with children and adults, as well as programs in stress reduction. Dr. Patel utilizes a relationship-based approach to treatment. She is currently accepting new patients. To find out more, visit peaceofheartllc.com or in Florida, call 941-539-1727. Again, that's peaceofheartllc.com or call 941-539-1727. Peace of Heart LLC, managing emotions for a healthier lifestyle. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Steps to a healthier you. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned into Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel. If you would like to reach the show today, 
please call into 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Patel at drv4kids at yahoo.com. That's Dr. V, the number four, kids at yahoo.com. Now, back to Perspectives. Welcome back to the last segment of our show today. You're listening to Perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Vidisha Patel. Please get in touch with me via email at drvforkids at yahoo.com. If you have questions or comments, I'd love to hear from you. I am here with Lisa Frechette talking about how we can find the joy in life as we process grief. So Lisa, we were talking a little bit about normalizing the person that was lost or that passed on and having them bringing them into conversation maybe on a daily basis or just you know not shying away from talking about them and personally I can say that with each successive loss that I've suffered in in my life um, I've learned how to incorporate those people into my daily life. And I think part of it was having young children because then you all of a sudden are responsible for helping your children process the grief. And so naming the person, talking about them in a positive light and naming how you feel about it. Would you, yes. what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that that's key. And, and, what can be tricky with that is that, like you mentioned earlier, that some some people might not want to do that. So I think being discerning about who and 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 how that is brought up, because we're each grieving in our own way and have different, you know, different ways of of moving through it. And um, for me, one of the things that was incredibly helpful was was journaling, like just writing down, you know writing down my feelings as well as saying them out loud, um, just being with it. And, um, you know, I was brought up uh, in a family where, you know, you swept things under the carpet, you didn't talk about them. And so I started as a young girl journaling because it was, you know, it was a safe (laughs) place. I didn't have to say it out loud, but it was a way to release, you know, it was a way to process feelings and thoughts and loss. And, And so the journaling um, is really, really has been pivotal for me throughout my entire life, and especially around, especially around grieving and and the feelings and the thoughts. Because sometimes, like you said, remembering the pe- our loved ones who have passed on a daily basis. Sometimes, and sometimes they they aren't pretty memories. And what do you do with those? So that right. for me, finding a way to um, you know the journaling as well as uh, I'm going to use the word trusted friend again. Um, okay. I think that you know, not just someone randomly, but someone that, you know, the few people that you know can hear you and be with you as a support when you're feeling these really deep and hard emotions is really key. So that that sharing is really important. The written I would word agree. as well as with people. And it's it's interesting what you said because there'll be days when you're okay with it and you can you can have a conversation without bursting into tears or without being angry or whatever. And then there'll be another day where you'll have the opposite response. And so finding that trusted friend, um, and this is probably where a therapist also helps, is, uh, you know, finding somebody who can absorb that, um, 
ping-ponging back of emotions um, mm-hmm. because it isn't, a, it isn't a straight trajectory, is it? Of, of, no, it's uh, not at all. And that, it, also, it, it, that also brings into the point about allowing your body to experience the grief. Can you talk a little bit about how, this, how it manifested in you, um, how, your, how you responded with, you did mention that you, you couldn't eat. Um, and I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat and I couldn't sleep. Um, and that's what sent, well, I could, I could eat a little, but the, the sleeping, you know, just, I just could not sleep. And that's where, that, that's what sent me actually to, to a therapist is because I just, it was like, it was, I just, I was having a hard time functioning because, of, because of the lack of sleep and the, you know, you know, the grief. And, um, and so the, the exhaustion was pretty intense. Um, and some, so, so that was helpful. We found, we did some, you know, EMDR and some other practices to help help work with the sleep as well as, you know, some strategies to, to work with, with that, you know, music and meditation and, and so on. And I think the other key thing with that for me was, you know, I love to be outside, but when I was in the trauma of the really deep grief, I, I, could, I had to force myself to go outside to walk even if it was 10 minutes, like just go outside for 10 minutes. So there's something, something about moving your body, getting the blood flowing, and especially being outdoors in nature, just being in the most natural spot that you can be in. For me, though, it was just, it was like I had to do that. Not that I felt great afterwards or something, but I can see how that helped and how that connected with the sleep as well and the eating. Um, so... Um, you know, the whole physical, it's, it's like, again, it's like a super stew of emotions and, and physical sensations. Well, and I've it's, noticed it's so that a lot of people who are in grief will, they will withdraw. They will, it would yeah. appear that they're depressed, but I'm not sure if it's true, true depression or if it's, it's just this stage of grief where they might be in shock. You mentioned that as well, um, being a stage for you. Um, and so if you're in shock, you're just not functioning. <laughs> right. And, and, and so the, the part with people, I, for me, I needed some solitude. And, and, and then there were certain people who I felt like I was trying to make them feel better. Um, so that, that was particularly hard. So that wouldn't be helpful. So there were, but there there were a few people who I could feel like I could just honestly and authentically just be where I was with them. And that was, you know, such a, um, that was such a comfort finding those few, but sometimes uh, certain people would be, it would be draining to be with certain kinds of certain people, more acquaintances would be draining because, you know, they, they, they look at you and, and they don't know what to say. So you're trying to help them feel better. And it's, it's incredibly draining, draining. Well, yeah, let's let's go into that a little bit more because I think that's a problem that a lot of people face is that if you have not suffered loss and grief at that deep level in your own life and you have someone you consider to be a good friend or a relative who is going through this process, it's often difficult to know how to be there for them and and how to support them through the process. So do you have any thoughts about, um, 
you know, you would obviously know what worked for you. But do you have any thoughts in general about things to look out for if How you're trying to support someone who's going through grief? I think to be gentle and to be genuine and, and, and when you are reaching out to make sure that you're reaching out from a, a place of um, kind of your own inner clarity, not from, uh, from, a, from a kind of a relaxed place inside of yourself because I think a grieving person can feel the difference if someone is, doesn't know what to do or like, or has their own discomfort with you. And so I think that being in, so, so waiting until you're in a good place to respond to the grieving person is probably number one. And, and also, you know, um, a card, um, soup, soup is great because you can put it in the freezer. Um, <laughs> and because if you're not eating, but it's like you have something if you do need to eat, you know, when you, when you do have that urge. So I think that that, I would say the reaching out when you're in a good place to reach out and uh-huh. I, you know, really cards, notes like that, that are really heartfelt um, and, and letting, letting, just letting people know that you're there, that you're being thought of, that they're holding you, they're holding you in their heart is, is key as well as like, you know, soup. <laughs> I love I love what you said about waiting until you are in a place where you can support the other person. I think typically people feel a a need for themselves to reach out to the individual to tell them they're they're sorry or they offer their condolences, but it's not. They, they may not, that individual may not be quite ready to be supportive because they too might be in shock or they may not know what to do. And I think, I think you're right. I remember from my own experiences as well that um, there were certain people that reached out and it just didn't, it wasn't helpful um, No, to no fault of theirs, but it wasn't helpful because they weren't, they were just doing it to have done it. Um, and that genuineness does come through and it is very helpful. Um, so it, it's almost as if all of us, the person grieving, the person supporting the person grieving, all need to be self-aware. Yes. And yes. and then of course the physical is uh, is always helpful. There's there's you know because in especially initially, it is um, it's hard to keep up with daily, daily needs. But then there's this other point of when someone goes through a a difficult time, everyone seems to show up immediately. And I think what we often forget Mm -hmm. is that one month later, six months later, one year later, um, that grief is still there. Um, And especially two and three years later. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Um, and so it's probably helpful to, to remember that, um, when trying to support someone in the grief process, because it's not, um, and that's, that's actually something else I wanted to ask you about, um, about your experience. Um, and then I will share mine as well. Um, do you think grief goes away? Goes away. Um, I think we go through grief and I think that it can come back again. If someone else passes, it kind of brings up the other. Um, 
Boy, that's a, that's a tough question. Does it go away? I, sometimes I don't think we feel it. Um, uh-huh. There can be long periods where, like, I have not felt grief since I wrote the book about my relationship with Adam. <laughs> I have not felt really any grief since then, and I, I can't say why. And I, I think that grief really is a mystery. So I don't, I don't know if there's an answer to that question because it's, 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 it's a mystery, and it's, um, it's kind of surrendering to that mystery of being with whatever our day brings, whether it's bringing. Um, sadness or another type of loss or, um, you know, you're just flowing with your life in a positive way that all of, all of the people who have touched us live in our heart. And that's a com- coming back to that heart that we're all, con- you know, it's, it's, I don't think that the ones who have passed have left us. We're still, they're still contained in, and having that relationship, the relationship continues for me, even when they are on the other side. Yeah. Um, so I would my personal opinion is that I don't think grief goes away I think grief shifts and I think how we respond to it shifts um, and that's why what you talked about earlier about naming emotions and um, having time alone actually whether you want to or not is probably beneficial because it allows the individual to sort of to get to know themselves, to get to know how they're responding. Because once you can name what's going on, then you can do something about it, which also brings in this concept of trying to be present to who you are in any given moment. Um, and grief is just this uh, process, this feeling, this state that, that sort of goes along with you, but it looks different every step of the way. Yes, absolutely. Wow. Um, it, it can really, what a, yes, I, I, I agree. And, and, and then we come to the part where, how do we, I don't know if you're ready for this, but like, how do we use our grief experience to help us grow? Cause it, certainly not thinking about that when you're in the immediate shock of, of a grief and, um, but, and that would be perfect if you can share that with us. We have about two minutes left. So if you can tell, give us your thoughts on that, that would be ideal. Um, I'll just, my personal experience is, is that my son Thomas opened me to love. And through my son's addictions, I learned to change. I kind of learned how to live, what that looks like. Uh-huh. Not, not always. <laughs> um, and, and then, but then my daughter is still alive. And she said to me, well, what about me? And it's like, we get to live it out. We get to live out the love that we've learned from those who have passed before us. So they're, they're with us, and they've informed who we are today. And so there is the point of openness, and there can, there can be um, the point where the sweetness that comes in um, as an antidote to the, the bitterness, maybe, or the difficulty of, of the loss, that there is also that you know, they've informed us how to live. Our priorities may shift and we may respond to other loved ones in a different way because of our losses. And, um, that's been, and I I just want to also highlight the ING and transforming to joy. Uh It's not a process that ever ends. It's continual. And it, 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 you know, you might reach a plateau and then there'll be another plateau to reach. So it's, it's, it, it implies a never ending process. Um, 
with, with this, and I think that's, that's what you're referring to with, with grief as well, that it, it's shifting always until we take our last breath ourselves. That's that's a beautiful way to end our show today. Um, thank you so much for joining us today on Perspectives. I've been talking to Lisa Frechette about her personal experiences of loss and how she has learned to transform that grief into joy with tools and techniques for all of us to learn from. I would encourage everyone to read her book. It's called Transforming to Joy, and it is her response to her son's struggle with addiction, but it's so much more than that. Um, It really does talk about transforming your life and and learning from the pain and making it into something far more beautiful. So, Lisa, thank you so much for joining me today. This is Dr. Vidisha Patel, your host for Perspectives. I look forward to being back with you next week for another edition. So feel free to email me at drvforkids at yahoo.com and have a wonderful week. Until next time. Thank you for listening to our program this week. Another edition of Perspectives with Dr. Vidisha Patel can be heard next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Until we talk again, have a lovely week.